0: Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to Be the Informed Patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. How is sleep tied to our mental health? What can improve our ability to focus during the day? How can fatigue weigh a person down physically, mentally, and emotionally? I'll talk about all of this with Dr. Drago Schmanta. He's a doctor who specializes in sleep medicine at Upstate. Welcome to The Informed Patient, Dr. Manta.
1: Thank you for having me, Amber.
0: I'd like to start by asking you about the impact the pandemic has had on sleep disorders overall. H- have you seen more people uh, with trouble sleeping over the past couple of years?
1: Yes, unfortunately the pandemic has been uh, a major problem for the, for the sleep community. Um, at the beginning was uh, definitely very disrupting for you know, the care of our sleep patients. So I remember we had to go through a lot of changes and we could not see patients. We had to switch to telemedicine, the sleep lab had to be closed. And then, although initially it sounded like with the close downs, we had more time to sleep, you know, that was just a transient issue. And over time, we have been seeing a lot of insomnia, a lot of people having trouble I'm um, sleeping because of the, the stressors that were associated with this pandemic having to do with you know, health stressors and economic stressors. So, and has been a definitely a high increase of insomnia cases during the pandemic and uh, uh, has definitely worsened the sleep of our general population.
0: So if the sleep disturbances are tied to stressors, the economic or the fears of COVID and that sort of thing, is there a risk that those disorders would become chronic or or will they resolve when the stress resolves?
1: In some patients, definitely a stressor can cause long-term consequences. A significant um, a stressor can be a precursor or a risk factor for chronic insomnia. Not, not in everybody. A lot of people can recover from a from, uh, stressor, but some people will develop chronic insomnia um, after a significant stressor. We see Um, A lot in patients that undergo, you know, major accidents, for example, or major health issues that uh, chronically can have problems. So, yes, it it could be a problem in a certain subset of patients.
0: Well, let's talk about how the quality of sleep helps maintain mental health. What happens in our bodies while we sleep and, and what physical impact does that have on our mental state?
1: Well, uh, a lot, a lot happens during sleep. I I think we know a lot about it, but there is a lot that we don't know, but in general, we all know that sleep is essential, There, there is no way we can survive without sleep. Um, you know, sleep is restorative um, for, you know, your brain and and, and your body. So, um, it's, it's imperative to have a certain amount of sleep um, every night, um, and people that are sleep deprived have, um significant, you know, long-term consequences, both medical and then psychological.
0: So definitely, I think people feel a difference if they've had a good night's sleep. You know, they tend to wake up feeling better than if they've had a a bad night's sleep. Um, What happens physically and mentally and emotionally when we're fatigued? Are we more likely to make mistakes?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely there are numerous health consequences of poor sleep quality or sleep deprivation, definitely your performance will be decreased. Definitely, you are going to be at higher risk of, um, you know, accidents, for example, that the one that comes to mind right away is increased risk of motor vehicle accidents. There are long-term medical consequences. You know, sleep deprivation and insomnia are associated with increased cardiovascular risk on the long-term. Um, there is an increased risk of dementia with sleep deprivation, um, as well as an increased risk of, of cancer. non restorative sleep or sleep deprivation have a lot of short-term and long-term consequences.
0: I'd like to ask you as a sleep expert, what you think of daylight saving time and how the body reacts to dark mornings versus dark nights.
1: The sleep community for a while has been advocating against um, uh, the, the daylight savings time because the forced uh, change in the sleep habits twice a year have a lot of consequences, especially during the the spring uh, time, there is an increased risk of sleep deprivation, increased risk of motor motor vehicle accidents, and even increased cardiovascular risk, including risk of heart attacks in the week following the fall back time. The sleep community has been advocated for permanent universal um, time, uh, rather than switching to daylight saving time every year.
0: So our body will just adapt to the natural fluctuations in sunrise and sunset times without yeah. noticing?
1: That's correct because the light is the biggest, you know, um, contributor to your circadian rhythm or your sleep rhythm. So your body will just follow the natural you know, light cycle.
0: Well, I'd like to ask you about the advice you give patients to get quality sleep. What can a person do if they have trouble falling asleep? When they you know get into bed and lay down they just can't go to sleep.
1: So there are a lot of lot of factors involved in maintaining a good um, sleep habit. Um, Probably the most important is to maintain the regular sleep hours. Um, So keeping the same um, bedtime and waking up time every day. There are two processes that tend to Maintain our sleep cycle. One of them is the homeostatic uh, process. So you are sleepier and sleepier the more you're awake, but also there is a innate circadian rhythm. So we all have a certain higher propensity of falling asleep during the night uh, and less chance of falling asleep during the day. So aligning those two processes generates the best sleep. So, um. Keeping the same hours, it's probably the, the most, most important. Um, the second one is probably getting enough light exposure during the day, especially during the morning. The light is the one that maintains that um, circadian rhythm and getting enough exposure to light during the day, it's very important. And not getting too much exposure to light during the night, which is a common thing that happens, you know, with you know, too much light exposure at night, watching TV, staying on the computer all night. So those are probably the most important things. There are a lot of other things, um, like making sure you get, you know, exercise every day. Caffeine is also a big, big problem. So not having, you know, caffeine late in the afternoon. um, it's, It's important.
0: Is there anything special someone should do if they go to sleep okay, but then they have a tendency to wake up in the middle of the night and then they can't get back to sleep?
1: We see this in patients with insomnia Um, and what we recommend is um, if if you wake up and you really cannot fall back to sleep within a reasonable amount of time, which for most patients, it's probably 15, 20 minutes. We recommend getting out of bed and um, ideally even going out of the bedroom and doing something in low light um, until you become sleepy again and return to your bed, you know, in your bedroom only when you are sleepy and ready to go back to sleep.
0: This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Dragos Manta. He's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate, and one of his specialty areas is sleep medicine. If someone has disturbed dreams or nightmares, does that disrupt the quality of their sleep overall?
1: Yes, it can. Definitely, it's something that if it's more frequent than an occasional nightmare, you know, the... um, might require you know further intervention most of the time it's related to some type of anxiety disorder or so it's, it's a you know a stressor that might go away as the stressor goes away if it's something more chronic i would recommend to to, you know speak with a provider and see what's driving the the, the nightmares
0: do you ever recommend any sleep medications
1: we've been Looking a lot into this because over the years have been a lot of medications that have been approved and tried for sleep. And just the fact that we have had so many different medications tells you that they don't really work very good. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine and also the American College of Physicians, they really recommend um, that medication should be a second line treatment. And the first line treatment, it's a combination of what we call cognitive and behavioral therapy, where you work with your provider to um, identify the, the the problems that cause your sleep problems on the long term and and uh, develop better sleep habits in the first place and Sometimes patients need to see a, a psychologist to to help with that before resorting to medication. So medications are really a second line treatment. And, you know, uh, the, the current recommendation is to be used just short term um, because there are a lot of long term consequences associated with, especially with hypnotics.
0: How can we determine how much sleep we really need? Because I know some people who exist on few hours and some people who really require a lot of hours.
1: Yeah. So there is, there is a certain very vari- variability in the sleep duration of populations. Most of the people need anywhere between seven and eight hours of sleep. There are uh, people that need, um, that can get away with six hours and there are individuals that need eight, nine hours of sleep. So between six and nine hours, it's probably normal as long as otherwise, you know, you are doing okay. Most of the people should know how much, it's 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 genetically determined. So, you know, most of the people know how much time You need to sleep by your early adult years. You know, teenagers do need a little bit more sleep. So, you know, I wouldn't go on based on how much sleep you need as a teenager. But I usually ask my patients, by your mid twenties, what is total hour of sleep that you need? That's kind of my guiding principle. Okay, is this patient needing less than that? And, you know, he sleeps less than that, then there might be a problem. If that's how much they need. There are people that are short sleepers. There are people that are long sleepers. And as long as they function okay, then that's not necessarily abnormal.
0: Does it matter when those hours take place within a 24-hour period? Can you sleep anytime and and get good quality sleep?
1: Well, you can sleep anytime if you are very, very tired, but generally you should try to align those hours to that circadian rhythm. And most of the People, they are, you know, sleepier during the night, but there are people that work the night shift and they train their circadian rhythm to be more sleepy during the day by constant exposure to light at night and then sleeping during the day. So as long as you maintain, you sleep during your determined circadian rhythm, those are the best hours to sleep. And some people do get a little benefit from a nap in the afternoon because there is a certain dip in the circadian in the alertness during the afternoon. That's also natural. Some patients in some cultures that observe the siesta, they they get a, a benefit from a nap in the in the mid-afternoon hours.
0: Do those naps sort of count towards your sleep hours? And in, in other words, do you need to have eight hours all together sequentially, or can you do six hours with a two-hour nap?
1: So in general, I would say probably the best is not to nap. You know, it, it it is also cultural and in our culture, at least in North American culture, it's not. So I would say the best is not to nap, but if you do have to nap, then I would recommend a shorter nap. Um, um, the longer naps, more than half an hour, they're associated to a certain degree of what we call sleep inertia, where where you are Groggy, basically, when you wake up, so if you do have to take a nap, I would recommend a shorter one up to half an hour what you call a power nap in the afternoon
0: Now what about someone who's uh really really busy during the week? can they plan to catch up on their sleep on the weekends?
1: It's better than not to catch up the ideally you should have the same type of um, the same sleep hours every day, but you know if you are sleep deprived it, it's okay to catch up. I would say make sure you catch up during the same you know, time period, I usually sleep during the weekdays, uh, maybe add, maybe go to sleep a little earlier or add another hour. I would not add a lot of sleep time because that can change your, your circadian rhythm.
0: Well, I imagine everyone may have trouble sleeping on occasion, but I wonder how much of the population has a, a real disorder like insomnia or sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. Do you have an idea how common sleep disorders are?
1: They're very common, so insomnia um, and sleep apnea are probably the most common you know, sleep disorders. The estimations vary, but depending on the population that you look at, they vary anywhere between um, 5% and 15, 20% of the population might have what is called chronic insomnia and also there is a high incidence of sleep apnea. Uh, again, with incidences between five and twenty percent, depending on what patient population you look at. But yeah, unfortunately, sleep problems are are very common.
0: So, how long would should a person struggle with sleep issues before they consult, uh, you know, a specialist?
1: In general, short term insomnia it's related to a stressor and tends to get better after the stressor disappears. Um, but if If patients have problems falling asleep at least three times a week for three months, um, then we call that a chronic insomnia disorder. And for that, I would recommend to see somebody because it it can become a long-term condition.
0: So if someone comes to see a sleep specialist like yourself, you may recommend a sleep study. Can you walk us through what that is and what a person should expect?
1: Not everybody needs a sleep study, but a lot of, a lot of patients do. I would say insomnia by itself, most of the time it's a clinical diagnosis and you do not, do, do not need a sleep study. We would recommend a sleep study for somebody that we worry about sleep apnea, which is a condition where the breathing is impaired during sleep or other abnormal behaviors during sleep, like sleepwalking, sleep talking, or acting out your dreams. So in situations like that, we would recommend um a sleep study, which basically it's a recording of your sleep, looking at several parameters, looking at your brain waves, looking at your breathing, your uh, muscle tone, and other PKG oxygen saturations. Most of the patients come to the sleep lab and they get pretty much a room, almost like a hotel room where... Um, or a technologies would apply all these leads and sensors. Believe it or not, patients still fall asleep (laughs) despite of all that. And then we record what happens during sleep and then we we send the patients home in the morning, we review the data, and then um, we try to make a diagnosis of what is causing the patient's sleep problem.
0: Do you think if someone's uh, partner is snoring uh, at night that they need to see a sleep specialist?
1: I mean, snoring is very, very common. Um, not, not everybody who snores needs to see a sleep doctor. I would say if a bed partner would observe breathing problem during sleep, like, like an, uh, what do you call apnea or an episode of stopping breathing during sleep or choking during sleep, um, that That would be, that happens, you know, more than occasionally, that would be um, a reason to maybe consider seeing a sleep doctor. If somebody who snores very loudly is also very sleepy, that's also an indication that somebody might be at risk of having sleep apnea. So I would say not everybody that snores, I would say snoring with some other signs that, that there might be something going on more than just snoring.
0: I know that there's a lot of people that rely on sleep apnea machines when they're sleeping. I wonder if, are there alternatives to sleep apnea machines? Because I think a lot of people look at the contraption and the tubes and they're just like, there's no way I can sleep with
1: that. I would say that, yes, there are alternatives. But this, the CPAP machine, despite of all the contraptions, is still the best treatment for sleep apnea. And I have to tell you that I've been taking care of so many patients that came to me and they said, no, I don't think I can use that. You'd be surprised how many patients that that initially wouldn't even consider it. You know, they feel so much better and I swear by it. So it's definitely something that initially sounds like looks, you know, a little bit more difficult, but um it is the gold standard treatment. And I would be very reluctant to go to a second line because the all the other lines of treatment are really, I wouldn't even call them second line, I would say maybe third or fourth line of treatments. But yes, you are right. Some patients after that trial, a lot of patients feel better, but some patients cannot tolerate and In that situation, we do have We do have other options, the most popular one would be an an oral appliance, which is a device that a dentist will make that, you know, the patients will have to sleep with at night. It's effective, although a little less effective and mostly effective in maybe mild to moderate cases of sleep apnea.
0: You called it a CPAP machine. What does that stand for?
1: It's, it stands for continuous positive airway pressure. So it's a, it's a device that maintains a certain pressure into the airway to prevent the, the airway collapse. That is the, the main problem that happens with sleep apnea.
0: Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask your advice for purchasing a mattress and pillow. If someone is having sleep trouble, do you have any advice for the type of mattress or pillow they should look for?
1: In general, I would say, I would say the comfort is probably the most important thing. So you have to be comfortable in, in your mattress. I, I would say the other thing that's probably important in general, you don't want a mattress that overheats, so you want, you want to have a mattress that has a fair amount of ventilation because heat does not help with sleep. In general, we we recommend, you know, a cooler environments to, to promote sleep. Those are the two things that I, I, would, I would, I would recommend.
0: Well, I really appreciate you making time for this interview, Dr. Manta.
1: Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad. I hope I hope it, this helps.
0: My guest has been Dr. Dragos Manta. He's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate, who specializes in sleep medicine. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu/informed. I'm your host, Amber Smith, thanking
1: you for listening.